Welcome to Divorce Is Not a Destination, the podcast that's here to help you move forward from divorce into a dynamic, fulfilling life. I'm Divorcee and your host, Dr. Lisa Summerhour, and I'm excited to be your guide on this journey. everybody. I was having a hard time getting into my own show. As soon as I hit the button, I got a thing that said my connection was getting weak, but I'm here. Um, and you're here. So, Hey, John, John has been hanging in for a few minutes. I saw Jackie and thought it was my mom, Jacqueline. So we have double Jackie's in here tonight and Sammy Andy just, just joined us. So thanks everybody. I hope you can hear me. Okay. My, I'm getting a little bit hoarse, so I'm going to sip on my tea here but we're going to get on with the show because this is week three in a four-part series, and I'm really excited to get into this week. So, folks, I'm Dr. Lisa Summerhour, and this is the podcast, Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm also creator of a program called Divorce is Not a Destination, where I work with women who are in high-profile positions who are looking for community support and confidentiality as they work through trauma and issues related to either breakups or divorces. And I primarily work with them on things that fit into four buckets. And that's having accountability in their lives, creating alignment in their lives, learning how to communicate without guilt and learning how to trust themselves. And this podcast is where I get to come every week and have a little fun because I get to, to talk to you and get ideas from the audience. And I, I like to think that we come in here every week and we learn from each other. So uh, happy every time uh, I look over here and there's somebody in here with me other than WaitBot. But I also know that a lot of folks are catching this on the replay. So I don't usually talk about this stuff, but I wanted to remember to just thank everybody. I thank everybody for coming, but to remember to share with you on this platform, folks like Monica. Monica usually will try to stop in here on, on uh, Thursday evenings. Uh, Monica Morton, she has a show called Boss Bitch. Phenomenal show. But we're actually two of the people. Terry Wallman has a show called Making It. That's actually how I found out about this platform. And he is one of the, I call him one of the founding podcasters or creators as they call us on this platform. This is a really unique platform where you get to be here in the audience and you can actually talk to me live depending on what uh, apparatus you're using, uh, accessing this on. I just got done talking about Monica. You can uh, talk to us live. You can actually come on stage. So this platform is really calm and is definitely one of the people who was one of the first on here to get this going. Stephanie is another one. And as I was just saying a few minutes ago, Monica is also one of those people's, uh, people who has a show on here, Boss Bitches. And it is one of the top shows on here. It's actually, you know, drawing people to the platform. So we appreciate you taking the time out of your night on Tuesday night for her show, Thursday night for this show and coming in and playing with us for, for a little bit each night. And we want you to share it with your friends and your family. So tonight I am talking about, this is part three of this four part series. And tonight I'm talking about avoidant attachment. It's also called avoidant dismissive attachment. And if you've ever been with someone who, who has this type of relationship attachment style, you're going to recognize some things as I'm going through them in, in this conversation. This one hit home for me because this is the reason I started learning about this because I realized through my therapy that I was with someone who fit into this category. And when I took the assessment, now tonight I have both links for the assessments. They're right here at the bottom of the, the screen in that little ticker tape that's going across. You're going to see two different links. The first one says attachment project. That one is maybe a five or seven minute a quiz that you can take to find out your attachment style. And you'll see that they're set up a little differently. The second one is probably my favorite one. It's a little bit longer. I think it might be 19 or 20 questions, but I like it because it will allow you to do your assessment and it will allow you to do assess an assessment for a partner or significant other. Um, or if you have a family member, sister, brother, somebody that you're close enough to kind of know behavior patterns and you can plug it in, it will give you their attachment style based on what you plugged in. So that second one that says attached the book, where's my book? It's this book right here, um, attached the book. And so that is the one that is related to this book, tabs galore. Um, but that's how I learned about this. And then I just really started getting into it. And because I do work with women 
who are going through issues around a breakup or a divorce, and I was going through a breakup when I learned out, learned about it, I know how beneficial this book has been for me. And knowing these attachment styles, it could just be beneficial. It could be a blessing for you, not because you're looking at somebody else, but you may realize some things about yourself. And then you can figure out what do you want to do to work through those things, right? So this one in children is referred to as anxious avoidant, anxious avoidant. And adults, it's referred to as avoidant dismissive. This is one of the three, they call them the insecure attachment style. So the three insecures are the anxious, avoidant, and for adults, disorganized is the one I'm going to be talking about next week, which is also called fearful avoidant or uh, anxious avoidant. It's a combination. It's a double whammy. So those three are, are, in, are uh, insecure attachments. And then obviously the one that I did the first week, which is secure, is the secure attachment. So I start at the beginning. I like to go back to the beginning and I'll give you a little overview and then I'll, I'll give you some explanation so that each show, each episode has some information to give you a foundation, right? So what kind of parenting? You know, the therapists and psychologists say that this is something that happens typically the first 18 months, how we form our attachment styles based on our parenting. And it doesn't mean that once you have one or one has been identified that that's it for the rest of your life and you're locked into it it can never change that's not the case but there is something about that first 18 months of our lives and how we have been um cared for how our caretaker our relationship with our caretaker helps formulate the type of attachment style that we're going to have until we're probably old enough to change it or something in our circumstance gives us an opportunity to change it so think of parents with a really strict and they're strict and emotionally distant. So they're just kind of really set in their ways and they don't have a whole lot of emotional connection to their kid. They don't tolerate or express feelings very well or very often. And they expect their child to be very independent and tough, you know, like suck it up. You can handle this. Stop crying. Um, they might, they, these parents are more likely to raise a child that has an avoidant attachment style. Um, I think I mentioned last week, pretty much the attachment style of your caretaker is typically going to be the attachment style of the people they care for, unless some other circumstances, some other variables get come into play that cause them to be raised differently. Um, and this is how and why siblings can be raised in the same house and have different attachment styles. And I thought about this. I think my mom had asked this a couple of weeks ago, you know, can that happen? How does it happen? And I was thinking about that. So just think about this. If this is about your relationship with your parent or a child's relationship with their parent or primary caregivers, if you're the oldest child, how many people have you heard say, you know, there were things that I did with my oldest child and the second child, the third child, the fourth child, they didn't get none of that. It's like, yeah, you're going to cry yourself to sleep. I'm not running back and forth to the crib. Now, the parent is not being intentionally cruel or mean. It's just that now we understand that depending on the consistency or inconsistency of that behavior with one child versus another, one child might have a more secure attachment style than a sibling who didn't get the same amount of attention or the same amount of consistent attention. So when you get to adulthood with this, and I'm giving you an overview before I dive in, these people could appear confident and really be self-sufficient. Uh, but they don't tolerate a whole lot of, of emotional connection or, or even physical intimacy. The reason I call this sex without intimacy is because they still want to have sex and they may even really want intimacy, but they struggle with in intimacy because it's so uncomfortable for them. So they avoid it and they really don't know how to navigate that. Um, they might not be able to build healthy relationships depending on how, how far into this, um, dismissive or avoidant uh, uh, attachment they are. And if they're in the workplace, these are the people that kind of look like the lone wolves. They're really, really, they're like super hyper independent. And you kind of think, oh, we're just going to leave Bob or Betty over there in the corner and let her do her own thing. That could be one of the, the um, characteristics that could be pointing to somebody with uh, an avoidant attachment uh, style. So these these things develop like i said childhood and this is about perception like i said this isn't because the parent is being mean or malicious hey wanda the parents not being mean or malicious they're not intentionally neglecting their child in in uh in most instance instances in other words it doesn't have to be a bad parent for a child to end up with any of these attachments 
it's really about the child's perception to what's going on. So if the child perceives that their basic needs aren't being met, this is what's going to develop for them. Um, they have a hard time trusting. The social bonds are going to be uh, perceived by these children as not being safe. They're, they don't have stability. And this is how a kid, a, a, an infant, a child would form this insecure, what, any of the insecure attachments. It's from that disconnect between what might actually be happening, but what the child is perceiving to be missing is what causes them to question. And I think last week I gave the example of a, a baby that's in the crib crying. And every time the baby cries, one of the parents or somebody runs in and picks them up. And then for whatever reason, they're tired, they, you know, the, that stops. And now the parent's not running in there and the kid's crying and something's happening in their mind that says, well, wait a minute, what, what happened? Where's the consistency? And so when you have these things happening repeatedly with this inconsistency, it can help develop one of the insecure attachment styles. So anxious avoidant, it's anxious avoidant in children or avoidant and um, dismissive for adults dismissive for adults. So if you're talking to a person or you look at a person, you know someone who is, they're pretty self-sufficient. They really don't want to rely on other people. Um, based on these theories, they're going to fall into one of these insecure attachments. So how would a child, I want to go a little deeper into how a child might develop anxious avoidant attachment. And that's that, like I said, that's what we call it in children. Caregiver, not necessarily neglecting, but this parent and I want you to think about people that you know or that you grew up with, friends or family, folks at school, hey, Teresa, folks that you work with where you've gotten to know a little bit about their family relations, or now that you're, you're going to hear this, start thinking and go, oh my goodness, I know this fits some folks that I know and I can see that. Or you might be thinking, whoa, that was my mom, my dad or something, but let's just see what happens. So these parents, they tend to avoid displaying emotion. They're not really affectionate with their kids. They're, they're, they're sort of like a mis, misattuned, you could say. They're just a little bit out of tune with what the child needs emotionally. And again, it may be because the parent got raised that way. And if they didn't get raised with that kind of affection, it's unless they've learned something different, they're going to do what they were taught to. So these kinds of caregivers are often reserving that emotional connection. They may not be real touchy-feely. They may not be huggers. Um, they seem to back off if a child does come in for that kind of affection or want some sort of support or reassurance, this caregiver might back away from it because it's uncomfortable. And in their mind, they may be thinking they're teaching their child to be more self-sufficient and independent and to be able to stand on their own and don't be a crybaby, all of those things. Um, when a kid does approach them and want that kind of support because it's so uncomfortable for their caregiver, they may become even more distant. Um, and get even more emotionally despondent. They might even be overwhelmed and want to exit, right? So you may have one parent that just doesn't even want to deal with this and another parent is stuck dealing with it. Um, and this is what happens when the parent just becomes unavailable. As far as the child is concerned, they're dealing with a parent who's not available and that's going to create a whole lot of insecurity. The child needs the closeness and instead of getting it, it's like door got shut in my face. So I'm not getting what I want and I feel completely disconnected. And just imagine even now as an adult what that feels like. Uh, hey, Nadine, imagine as an adult, if you've ever had somebody just shut you out, imagine what that did to your you emotionally and what that did to your psyche. And now let's transfer that to a child who can't, you know, make any logical sense out of what's going on and imagine how that might impact them. And then you can understand how these sorts of behaviors over over that first 18 months can cause these insecure attachment styles to develop. Um, they might disapprove of and not even tolerate displays of emotion from their kids. I talked about that earlier. Now, this doesn't mean that it's, 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 it could be whether it's negative emotions or sadness or joy, positive excitement. They just don't deal with emotional stuff, period. It's just, all of it is just uncomfortable for them. And if that's the adult, imagine what's going on for the kid. When they do see it, again, they're going to back up. They might want this kid to toughen up. And if you get raised in an environment like this, this could cause this avoidant attachment style, avoidant attachment style. You're dealing with adults now. Let's talk about what some of this looks like in adults. And I really want you to pay attention. And I'll remind the folks who are in here now. The bottom of the screen, I have two links. 
One is going to attachmentproject.com. They have a quiz that you can take in like five minutes to see what your attachment style is. And you're going to see that one ask a lot of questions about how you were raised. That's how these two are different. The other one is for the book, the book attached the book. And that's the longer link. And you're going to see that one ask more questions that are relational based that are relationship based. How does this person react or respond when this happened? And you're going to be able to use that one for yourself and a second one that they give for a partner, a friend, you know, lover, your husband, your wife, your spouse, whomever. And then you can see, okay, if I'm this and that person is this, what's the, where are the challenges going to come in, in the compatibility in this relationship? Or it might make you go, oh, okay, I see what's been going on here. Now I got to figure out how do how can I adjust or how can we adjust to deal with the fact that we have these two different attachment styles that sometimes clash, right? So this adult, you have an adult who has avoidant dismissive attachment style. These people seem to be pretty happy. I mean, if you met them, you would think, wow, they're pretty social. They can be social when they're out and about, they're socializing, they're smiling, they're easygoing. They seem to be pretty fun to be around. Um, they might even have a lot of friends and they might have a lot of sexual partners. Remember I said sex, but not intimacy. So they might have a lot of sexual partners. And if you don't know them well enough, if you're looking from the outside, you may think this person's got it going on. Their life is looking pretty good. Um, generally speaking, speaking, they're not necessarily alone and they may not really feel lonely either. So for the most part, they look like everything is good. Um, but they tend to be really, really independent. Now, I talked about the person at work. That's the Lone Ranger. They're going to do everything on their own. And they probably have pretty good self-esteem, which is different from anxious avoidant that had low self-esteem. They were like edgy and nervous all the time. These folks don't necessarily like relying on other people for um, emotional support or for reassurance. So let's think back. As an infant, they didn't get that. So they've learned not to be able to depend on that. So they don't really trust it. So they've learned as an adult to navigate without it. So I'm going to make myself feel good. I got this. I'm going to handle it. I love you, but don't do anything for me. I don't need you to do that for me. I don't need you to do that for me. That may be coming from somebody with that avoidant attachment style. These people might invest really, really heavily in their professional development and they're likely to build their confidence. Um, for, so that they can have personal success. They seem like they, and, and it's funny because a lot of stuff I read, you're going to hear me say seem, they seem to be in control. They seem to be in control. So let's talk. And anytime you have a question or a comment, please raise your hand. This is, I, I'm, I'm sharing information, but this is definitely open for dialogue all the time. So if something strikes you, jump on in here, hit the, hit the little circle down in your corner. It's got a little dot on it. Click on that and you can hit to be on stage or, or have me or open up your microphone. So if this person is in a relationship, you got somebody with an avoidant dismissive, don't forget the dismissive part. Cause let me tell you something. The dismissive part was the part that jumped out for me first. Cause if you've ever been in a relationship where you feel like somebody is literally, they're like just dismissing you. It's like, I don't even, I don't even have time for you. I'm not even, I can't even be bothered. That might be this person and they avoid conflict and everything else that has any kind of emotion attached to it. Remember, it's not just negative emotions, bad emotions. Some of these folks struggle with any emotion. So their social interaction and bonds look like they're okay, but for the most part, they are very surface. They're very surface. So if you're in a relationship with this person and things start going downhill, when you start talking to your friends, they're looking at you like, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, she's got the biggest heart in the world. Oh my God, he's the nicest guy. Well, he's still, he's really a good person. You're going to hear all of this because on the surface, that's what they have been portraying. That's how they have learned to navigate in the world. They can put on a happy face and a really easygoing disposition, even though you may be experiencing something different when you're with them on a regular basis. In order for a relationship to be meaningful and fulfilling, it's gotta be deep. And so if you're dealing with somebody who can only operate on a surface level and can't dig in emotionally, how are you ever going to have an emotionally satisfying and gratifying and fulfilling relationship? 
you're not. And, and it may take you a minute to realize that where it is, is as deep as it's going to get. Like, cause you may have moments where you think things are going a little deeper and then you realize, nope, we're floating right back up to the top. We, we just, we kind of bobbed a little bit, faked me out. Like we were going to take a dive and it was like, shoop, bob right back up to the top. And when you make an attempt to be more emotionally connect, connected, to have more intimacy, to start having deeper, really relevant conversations about the future, about what does, you know, what the things mean? What do you want for yourself? How are we? That's when you're likely to hit a wall when you're dealing with somebody who has an avoidant attachment style, because you are taking them into a place. It's like taking somebody someplace that they have never been and they've been terrified of going and you say, Oh, we're going to go to, we're going to go hiking or we're going to go swimming. And, and you see the fear come over them because they've never been there and they are scared to death. And all they are sensing is danger. Will Robinson danger. Will Robinson. That's pretty much what they're going to get. And you will have to drag them into whatever that is. That's sort of like what this relationship uh, is like with somebody who has an avoidant dismissive attachment style. These people will let you be around them, but they will not let you in. So you can navigate and operate in the, in their sphere, which means you can live with this person. And you may have moments where you're having fun and it's light and you get some hugs every now and then and all of that stuff is happening. But as soon as they feel like, okay, that was enough. I was in there with you for a few minutes. I need you. They need you gone. They need you away. So you, it's someone that you can live with. If you've ever heard someone say, I'm not alone, but I'm lonely. Now the person with the <laughs> avoidant attachment style, they don't feel alone or lonely because they're really not going in that deep. You may be with them feeling really, really lonely, even though you're not alone because you get the, the way you can describe it or somebody might describe it is they're with me, but they're never really there. Right? So these people tend to avoid really strong displays of closeness and intimacy. And when things start getting really serious, that dismissive avoidant person, they're going to close themselves off. That's when they may just completely shut down on you. So that could happen if there's an argument. Um, it could happen if you are, <laughs> it could happen if you're having a bunch of folks over at your house and there's like too much fun going on. You may see the avoidant person. There's a gnat in here. You may see the avoidant person just disappear and you'll be talking about where did so-and-so go? Where, where'd they go? And if they have an office or a place that they can hang out or your bedroom or another room in the house, that may be where they are. And they'll, you'll go in there and go, is everything good? Yeah, 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 I'm fine. And they've just, they have just left because there was literally too much emotional stuff going on in the form of even fun or excitement. My mom knows, my mom has been here. She, she has seen these things. Um, hey, Tracy, 007. I like that. Um, the avoidant dismissive, they will get to a point if you continue to try to have emotional closeness or intimacy, some deeper conversations, more relevance, more meaning to your relationship. You want to talk about where are we going with this? It's been three years. You want to have those conversations. This is the person that's likely to find a reason to end the relationship. They will find a reason to end the relationship. And I'm going to tell you something when you, this book here, I cannot, I should be getting a commission on this book. Cause I, I could sell these on the street anywhere. This book here will, paint a profile of somebody so powerful, you will see a picture of somebody, you know, pop up out of the page. Cause that's literally, well, not literally, that's what figuratively, figuratively what happened to me. I really felt like there was a sketch being drawn of someone I knew. Um, because when you start seeing these descriptions and things like they'll find a reason to end the relationship, they might be really annoyed or they'll tell you that they're annoyed with their partner's behavior. Um, the habits, the things that they used to like, now they're very annoying, or, or even their appearance. They will find something that they can identify, that they can pick on and hold on to, so they can justify pulling away from the relationship. You may even hear things like, and this is something that's actually in this book. I'm not making this up. This book actually talks about, this is the person who will fantasize about an ex. They may fantasize about an ex. So you may hear things like, um, oh, I heard from so-and-so and they just called to say hello. And you're like, well, how, when did, when did that friendship, you know, come back? They are now trying to make 
maintain a relationship with somebody that was in their past or they may never have let go of it and you just didn't know about it. But it's so interesting. Hey, um, Mariaski, they will actually start, they may actually start talking about this person. You know, I just wanted to check on them or I heard something happen. I just wanted to say hi. You know, I don't know why we can't be friends. That's sort of their way of starting to create an out. It's keeping a door open for them to exit because now they've gotten to a place where they are too uncomfortable with what's going on. And instead of just owning up to it, because they're not going to deal with emotions, so they can't sit you down and say, hey, um, you're a great person, but this just isn't working out for me. So I, I just, you know, I know this is going to hurt. I hate that's going to be really difficult for them to do because that's part of the avoidant part of the avoidant dismissive. So they believe that they don't even need emotional intimacy in their lives. So they don't really have a big motivation to try to get it. So a lot of times they know how to fake it. They know how to go through the motions. If you confuse sex with intimacy, you could be fooled for a while because most folks would think the two are, are connected, um, but you really need to be paying attention and see what other markers am I seeing that would say I'm dealing with, with intimacy and not just sex when we're getting physical. You know, where are there hugs and hand-holding? You know, what are the things that are letting you see real intimacy happening? Are we having deep conversations? Do I feel like I'm really getting to know this person? Or again, is everything happening on the surface? So what you need to understand is this is a result of upbringing. Um, it's a result of how they were raised by their primary caretakers as a child. And if there was never any awareness of this being the case for them, then they haven't had any reason to wanna step in and make some changes. They don't even know. And I, I don't know what it might be like, you know, it would be awesome to think somebody could bring it to their attention and that's probably what would have to happen. They would have to bring it to their attention and more than likely this is a scenario where therapy is probably gonna be the best thing uh, for somebody with an avoidant dismissive um, attachment style. Yeah, you can work on all of these attachment styles on your own. Matter of fact, the attachment project actually has workbooks for each one of the four attachment styles. So if you wanted to get that for yourself or give someone, good luck with that. Let us know how that goes. Um, you could actually get this workbook and start working through it. And even if the workbook only serves as helping you become more aware of behavior patterns and how you think and helping you identify little markers in your childhood and then growing up to see what kind of, how, how did you respond to things? Even if that's all it does, you have a lot of really powerful and empowering information to use for yourself and really relevant information to take to a therapist if you go in. I think it might be a joy for a therapist to get a client that's already started working on some things and has actually a workbook. So, um, this caregiver thing for them, which you need to get, is they were taken care of by people that they feel like weren't there for them. Now, it's not for us to get into whether they were or not. It could have been either one. It could be strictly perception. Something could have happened that triggered them that I can't trust them and they never shook it. Or yeah, they could have been raised by a parent or parents who really weren't there for them. Hey Kelly, they, they didn't feel like they had consistent um, parenting. They didn't feel an emotional connection. They were with somebody who was um, emotionally despondent, who didn't really cater to them from an intimate uh, place as a child. And if all of those things were absent, hey, Sylvia and Chuck Kelly, um, if those things were absent, then yeah, the avoidant dismissive attachment style can be born out of all of that. So the avoidant adult, that emotional closeness and intimacy not not on the table, not on the table. And I want to hear if somebody is thinking of a person from their past going, oh my gosh, this sounds like so-and-so. Don't give us any names. But I'm curious to know, when did you realize it then? Or are you hearing things now that are helping you go, oh my gosh, I think I, think I did date somebody like that. I think I was with someone like that and I didn't know what the problem was. Because we often will label these folks, as a friend of mine says, bassholes. <laughs> um, if they're at work, they call them boss holes. Uh, we'll label them all these other things. And the reality is 
they're dealing with an attachment style and this is just how they show up in the world. This is just how they've learned to show up. They don't know any other way yet. So from the outside, again, this person, hey, three guys, this person looks really confident. They look strong. They look like they are keeping it together. They're very likely pretty successful because they tend to pour a lot of their energy into their professional, um, their uh, profession because they can do that by themselves most of the time and they're able to just focus on it and it can be how they escaped from the relationship. They got a legitimate reason to not be bothered with you when they don't want to be bothered. Well, I got to get some work done. And so they can go into their cubby hole and, and go into their own little world and avoid any of this intimacy stuff. Um, it does mean that this person is probably suffering. You know, all of us, every human being craves relationship. I, I always say, if God had wanted us to deal with everything on our own, he could have dropped us all on our own little individual planets. We were put on this planet together because we are supposed to be down here trying to figure out how to be in healthy relationship with other people. And so even somebody with, hey, Emily, even somebody with an avoidant dismissive attachment style, it's not that they don't have the need. And it's not even that they may not. It's not that they don't need it because they're human. It's just that they don't know how to do it. They are clueless. And so that creates this sense of them feeling like, okay, that's just not something that I need. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do that because it's just not how I want to show up. Um, it's not because it wouldn't benefit them to have it. They just don't know how they don't know how. And so you're trying to get someone or wanting someone to give something to you that they don't have in them to give. And it can be a really, uh, hi, Linda and Susie. It can be a really frustrating and hurtful experience being in a relationship with somebody who is an avoidant dismissive when you don't have a clue that's what's going on you don't have a clue that is what's going on it can leave you even if you're a secure attachment and i can speak from my personal experience even from me having a secure attachment i could see the pull taking me into anxious attachment because what happens is you're trying to be you're naturally i'm naturally caring and I want to find out what's going on with my partner. So what's going on? Let's talk. And, and you don't realize that this can turn into not necessarily nagging, but it can create this uneasiness inside of you. And I, when I started sensing that is when I called a therapist, because I knew I was stepping outside of what's normal for me. And so by the time I got to the therapist, he was like, well, I think you might have anxious attachment. And I was like, no, I don't. Three assessments later, they were all secure. But what I could see is when therapists or counselors say, just because you are identified as one attachment style doesn't mean you live there all the time for the rest of your life and there's no in and out or variation that can happen. So a relationship is definitely one of those things that can pull you. The good thing about that is a relationship is a thing that can also pull you out of one of the insecure attachment styles. And I talked about that a little bit last week. So if you have a secure attachment style and you're with someone who has anxious or even avoidant dismissive, the stability that you provide, if you're able to hang in there long enough and they're willing because you can't make somebody change. Um, but what it what it does is it allows them to see somebody demonstrating that kind of love and the consistency in the relationship and the intimacy. And if they're able to see that from you long enough and experience that, it could slowly start bringing them to a place of feeling more secure. And so that is something that, um, that I really want you to be aware of because I don't want you thinking, oh, you're this attachment style and that's it, they're gonna be locked in because that's not necessarily the case. I also don't want people thinking, it's your job to try to pull somebody out of an attachment style. I would strongly suggest that you get on psychologytoday.com and find you a therapist in your area and get to getting, yeah, get to getting. So either way, not being able to build a deep and meaningful, long lasting relationship is painful for even the person with the attachment style. They just don't know what to do about it. They don't know any other way to address it. So if you have a friend that, hey, uh, Sabrina, 1928 and Laura, if you have a friend as you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I have somebody that's in my close circle that I think this is what's going on with them because you've seen their, their relationship cycle, right? 
you've heard them talk about, well, this person's just trying to get too close. They want to be all emotional. I can't deal with all this emotion. They're too, they're too emotional. If you are thinking this might be so-and-so, a couple of things, ask them to take this quiz, one of the quizzes with you, one of the assessments. Like I said, there are two of them here. So folks just coming in, there are two links here. Hey, Patty and JC, there are two links in my little fortune cookie ticker tape. One of them is like a five minute quiz from attachment project. The other one is a longer one that you can take and then you can take for somebody else, but either one of the, and they're all free. These are all free. So if you have a friend, this is a great way to kind of get them thinking uh, about attachment style and see if they can identify where they are. And once they do, you guys can have this conversation and go, Hey, you know, let's just have a cup of coffee and a heart to heart. And you can say, you know, your last couple of relationships, when I was reading this, this sounded really similar. This sounded familiar. Does it feel familiar for you? And if so, you may put somebody on a path to first become aware of their attachment style. And then second, to identify how having this particular attachment style has impacted relationships in their past. And then third, are they ready to do something about it to change it? I mean, this can be life-changing stuff. Hey, Caitlin, David, Tamara, this can be life-changing stuff for somebody when they are made aware of it. So if, you, if you're that kind of friend and have that kind of um, connection with somebody else, this is a great thing to, to turn somebody on to because they're probably living with a lot of, of pain and angst, not being able to get past this, uh, this wall that they've put up that's keeping them from being emotionally connected to someone else. And they still keep trying. They keep wanting to be in a relationship and they keep having the same thing happen over and over again. They get close to somebody. The person wants a little more out of them. They get a little freaked out. They get scared and they start making up excuses as to why this relationship's not going to work. And now this person parts their hair on the right and I hate it. And you know, it, it could be anything that triggers, <laughs> that triggers this. And all of a sudden there are things that they don't like that might not even make any sense now. Um, I actually had somebody tell me that I was doing things. One, one day I had upset his sister. It hadn't actually happened. Uh, one day I had him and his dad arguing. It hadn't actually happened. So there'll be, <laughs> there'll be things that come up because what they're trying to do is push you away. They are trying to push you away. And at that point, it's almost like the Malcolm X of relationships by any means necessary. I need you to not be here or I need to not be here with you. Um, so pay attention to that. Think about some of your friends who needs to, who needs to hear this. Um, if you think, you know, someone, like I said, if you're recognizing this dismissive or this avoidant dismissive behavior, behavior, um, clue them in. So let's do this. Um, what can they do? What can this person do? Or what can you do? If you realize this could be me, this sounds like some of my relationships. The key is to admit it, right? Admit it and admit that this, this switch um, on emotional intimacy, you got to figure out how to turn this thing on. You got to find the switch and you got to flip this thing on. You got to figure out how to allow yourself to experience emotional intimacy. And that means you cannot confuse intimacy with sex. So don't start thinking, I'm just going to have all this sex and I fix myself. No, you just had a bunch of sex. We all know you can have sex and not be intimate, right? So you want to figure out how to turn this switch back on or turn it on. And it could be really challenging and it could require a lot of work on your part and therapy. I'm going to keep saying therapy because I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach and you may need to go to counseling or a therapist to move past this. Um, what does it feel like? The avoidant adult, they, they really need to start paying attention to <clears throat> the emotional things physical sensations that come up around emotional intimacy. So it's, it's actually just kind of like paying attention when I am in a position with someone where I feel like intimacy is getting really close to me. What happens physically? How does it feel? Where do you feel this in your body? Do you start having a panic attack? Does something happen in your head that is basically screaming, run, I need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> Pay attention to what happens. And if you're able to, right after, sit down and journal. 
that's another one. Me and Monica always telling people to journal. We should, Monica, we need to get pens with our logos and stuff on them because we could be mailing pens out constantly. But take a minute and write down everything that went through your mind and what it felt like in your body. Because I really think our bodies <clears throat> very often are giving us signals and we just kind of don't pay attention to them. What's going on in the pit of your stomach? Did your heartbeat start really racing? So pay attention to that. That whole opportunity to self-reflect on that moment um, might help this thing make sense and help you analyze the patterns. Because once you identify what you just experienced, you can start going back and go, I remember when this happened with this person or in this situation. Or, and it could be weird things. Like it may not even be a relationship. It could be with a niece or a nephew. They want to come and hug you and cuddle and sit up next to you. And it, you are just adverse to anything that feels too intimate. And people never think that they would think, oh, that's horrible. Who wouldn't want to hug a kid? But understand you're dealing with somebody with an avoidant dismissive attachment style. And if it feels like it's a little too lovey-dovey, a little too emotional, a little too, a little too intimate, it's, it may be a problem for them and it's got nothing to do with the other person. It's got everything to do with them and those first 18 months of their life when they felt like they weren't getting what they needed. So um, another essential step would be to explore and understand what it's like um, to express emotional needs, right? So in order to express them, you're going to have to identify what yours are, what they might be. And that's why I said there is a workbook. There's a workbook on the attachment project that you can download that will help you just kind of, it asks you enough questions so that you can get yourself in the frame of mind to be able to process some of this information so it's not too, too overwhelming. Um, so at some point, you want to start working on building closer relationships with people. So let's forget about a, a, a romantic relationship because these folks also are our hands, their, their arms length away, even with friends, excuse me, even with family members. So like I said, if you have a friend who's like this, you may have gotten to a point in the relationship where you realized, I don't know this person as much as I thought I did. I'm, I thought we were close and I, I, I'm, I'm giving you real life stuff without using names, but I experienced this in a relationship after we broke up friends that he had introduced me to were deeply, deeply hurt because the way he exited, they didn't even know what was going on. And so there was this feeling of, wow, I actually thought we were closer than that. Like I, I, I can understand him leaving you, right? <laughs> right? Cause he, he didn't want to be here anymore, but they couldn't understand if I'm your friend, how did you just lie to everybody? So it's, it's one of those things where you are actually saying, I got to not take this personally because this had nothing to do with me. What did my Angelo say? Uh, what people say about you has nothing to do with you. What people say about you is none of your business. When you're dealing with an avoidant dismissive, and I'm not saying that there may not have been things that could have been done differently or that therapy might not help. All of that's true. At the same time, when you're dealing with somebody who is avoidant dismissive, they are operating at a level and thinking about things that don't have anything to do with you. They're using you as the trigger excuse to do whatever it is they need to do to avoid that intimacy. So if this is you or a friend, what needs to happen is you can work on building relationships with people around you who are closer to you. And maybe it's gonna look like something simple like you know, going to dinner with somebody or going out for lunch or sitting in the park and having a little conversation about what it was like growing up or favorite travel experience, something that's going to get you to talk and be able to sit and experience somebody sharing an emotional story with you and then you being able to share some of that back. So developing these close relationships where you share some things that may be kind of uncomfortable for you because, um, they could take this like step-by-step -step approach to letting other people into their world. Because like I said, you could be with someone who's avoidant, dis dismissive. You could be with them, but you're not, they're not going to be in it with you. They're there, but, but it's not intentional. It's not this full engagement that you really want to have. So by taking little teeny baby steps and letting people get closer to you and being able to share, this is one of the ways that you can start kind of chipping away at that. And I already talked about, can this be changed? Yeah, there, there are ways that any of these styles 
uh, therapists say they can be changed. You can move to a more secure attachment style if you're in one of the three insecure attachment styles, but it just takes work. It takes intentionality and it takes work. So it's not going to happen. We didn't, whatever, whatever your attachment style is, it didn't happen in two, three weeks. You're not going to fix it in two or three weeks. If they're saying it took us the first 18 months of our life to get this settled in, I would say to be fair with yourself, give yourself 18 months to undo it. How about that? So I'd love to hear what folks are thinking. Hey, got some, hey, PSP and Tamara or Tamara. I don't know which one it is, but I'd love to hear from anybody. What are your thoughts, your comments? What did anybody think this sounded like somebody they knew? Or is there anybody here that can say, this might've sounded a little bit like me. Curious to know. Hey there. I see you, but I don't hear you yet. Jacqueline, Jacqueline. Oh, now you're coming in, say something. Can you hear me now? Now we can hear you. Oh, okay. I just remember um, um, one evening having company here, mm-hmm. and um, and um, the gentleman who has this type of attachment style mm-hmm. um, was here all evening with the company. But when they left, I thought it was interesting because he was so proud that he had stayed the whole time, that he hadn't come up with an excuse to leave, which was kind of... Interesting. which happened often, yeah. but he was so proud of himself. And he said something to the effect that I did good, didn't I? I, I, did good, didn't I? <laughs> Meaning, you know, he actually stayed with all the company and um, I guess to some extent enjoyed the conversation. So, um, so, so you yeah, he kind of patted himself on the back. Pat, yeah. Patted himself yeah. on the back that evening. So if, if, if you are a person who struggles now, my family, when we get together, my friends and family, we are boisterous. We are going to laugh. We're going to crack jokes. We, we're we're going to do just about everything, but your mama jokes. Cause that's my mama and ain't nobody trying to get smacked, but we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun. If you are an avoidant dismissive, even that energy is, a, is off putting for you because it's still emotion, right? Even though it's laughter and it's fun, it's emotional. And so for that person, it's, it's almost the, the feeling I got, it was almost like, wow, I survived people throwing straight pins at me. I did good. Didn't I? Like, like I, I made it through the night. And so understand that for this person with a dismissive, uh, avoidant dismissive attachment style, any kind of emotion, a lot of times we think that it's going to be like arguments they can't deal with or negativity. It's like, oh, it's off-putting. It's any emotion. They can be in it for a little while, but they will struggle. And you may not even know what happened. It's almost like a switch went off where for a minute they seem to be engaged, but you don't realize what a struggle it was for them to look like they were engaged, for them to have anything that resembled engagement for any period of time. If one little thing happens that makes them feel awkward or uncomfortable, like, we could all be at a table joking with each other. And if one joke got per- turned in their direction, the, the whole demeanor would shift because first of all, now you might have said something negative about them, but it's just that emotional energy was just too much for them. So yeah, I, I remember that day moms. I remember that day. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm having a hard time turning off my microphone. Oh, no, we can hear you just fine. No, I wanted to turn it off. Oh, yep. Okay, let me see if I can do that for you. Um, or you just have to not talk. There, I think I got you. I think you're back off. So I this this series for me has been fun. It's caused me to dive deeper into this book, dive deeper into the attachment project, and really uh, start peeling the onion back on on all four of these attachment styles. And I may do one in another couple of months that just really looks at what it takes to turn these around or maybe one show and touch on all four. I may have to, maybe I'll just do two series and do two things on each one. Um, actually really only need three. You don't need to turn around secure attachment style. 
but um, to, to just give people an idea on what might it be like, or maybe I'll bring a therapist on. I may bring somebody on to talk about what it's like working with somebody with one of the insecure attachment styles and what does it look like for them to be able to turn that, bring that closer or into a secure attachment style. And what is it like to be somebody that's in love with or married to somebody with an insecure attachment style that really is problematic? What do they need to do to try to, to live with that? Because one of the things that happened, this was a, this was a, this was a recommendation from my therapist on my last session after my relationship ended. And he said, I, I recommend this book to every single woman I work with. I have no idea why he doesn't recommend it to men because I think they, everybody would benefit from it. But he recommends it to all the sing, every single woman. And since I was newly single, I got the recommendation and I downloaded it immediately and ordered a copy. Um, but I think to be able to, to, to what, what I saw when I was looking up uh, people's testimonies and what people liked about the book and what they didn't like about the book, there were several people who were married to someone with either anxious or avoidant attachment or the one I'm covering next week, which is they call it disorganized attachment which is like a comment, they call it fearful or disorganized attachment. And it's like a combination of anxious and avoidant. That doesn't even sound good, right? It's that combination. And for people who were dating or married with or had been with someone for a long time with that attachment style, a lot of therapy, a lot of therapists and a lot of books will say, we don't even know what to tell you. Like you're, you may just have to get out of there. And it was really pissing people off because they're like, so you're telling me there's no hope for my relationship. And, and it really hinges on, is this person going to ever get to a place where one, they can identify that they have this particular attachment style and that they're willing to do something about it, right? They're willing to do something about it because no matter how good you are, if they don't pick up on the fact that, man, if I change, it could improve my relationship because they have decided it's not their issue, it's not their problem, you're the one with the problem, then they may never wanna make a change. And then you're just gonna be stuck in a relationship with somebody and you have to figure out what sacrifices are you willing to make? Um, and what is that doing to your emotional well-being and to your psyche and all of that stuff? So anybody else, I just wanna see if anybody else wants to share, has a comment. I so appreciate everybody being here tonight. Um, we're having sunshine in Southern California, so I'm kind of excited about that because I feel like it's been a minute since we had sun and warm weather because two mornings ago it was 39 degrees in Southern California. No bueno is what I'm going to say about that. So look, next week, come back. I'll be talking about fearful or disorganized attachment style. I'm going to give you another second to click one of those links that are that's going through on that little ticker tape so you can go take your quiz. And if you do, come back next week and talk to us about what uh, attachment style you learned that you have, or if you want to share about your partner. Look at you, Wanda. You stayed on here the whole show and did not talk about your husband that one time, and you didn't tell no lies on me today. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Summerhour. And until next time, remember, your life your journey and divorce is not a destination created live on fireside